morning. Good morning. Welcome to the Marysville 3CU Church. You can find us online at marysville3cu.org. And you can check out what we're about and where we're at and how to contact us. And so we invite you to do that. Every once in a while I put a plug in to email us at contact at marysville, the number 3cu.org. We are in Ohio. I say that because sometimes I see people on there from other countries and from other parts of the state and sometimes in other parts of the country. So if you wonder where we're at, that's where we're, we're at. We've been in a series for the last several weeks. Now, if you've been enjoying the series, it hasn't maybe seemed as long. If you haven't been enjoying the series, I have good news. This is the last day for the series. If you like the series or wonder about it, it is out there on the website and you can find it. But we, have, we started out with what is man. Remember we started out, we had to start with the fu fundamentals. What is man? And then we talked about what is a man. And then we talked about the desired traits of a man. And then we talked about direction for husbands. And today we finish this series up, Lord willing, with insights for fathers. From Ephesians 6 4. Insights for fathers from Ephesians 6 4. Fathering can be a challenge, and I'm not going to pretend to teach you all there is to know about fathering in the next few minutes. But we're going to look at Ephesians 6, 4. That ha let's have a brief word of prayer. Father, God, I pray that you would just open our hearts. May your Holy Spirit come and teach us. And those that hear this message would hear the parts that are relevant to them and important to them, not just now, but in moving forward, and maybe for them to tell others about. But, Lord, we pray that you take our jumblings and our ramblings and just kind of smooth that out and uh, that they would hear the message clear from you, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. If you heard me in my prayer, I, I asked that the, the Lord would smooth it out so you just hear it right. It's kind of like auto-tune on all the Disney channels. When they sing, they, they put it through auto-tune so it makes them all sound like they're all in tune. They might not be really singing in tune, but they auto-tune them. But uh, we're asking the Holy Spirit to help all, of my, all the stumblings and clear through that so you hear what the Lord has you to hear as we turn to Ephesians 6, 4. And I'm going to read from the New King James Version. Now, some of these words you're going to find, we're only reading one verse. They'll be a little bit different in some of your translations. And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Now, some of you might see the words fear, and some of you might see the words instruction, or some combination like that, but that is... What we have, and you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. So there's three words, three words that we're kind of looking at here, and um, provoke, training, and admonition. Provoke, training, and admonition. Provoke, you don't want to provoke someone. In this case, you don't want to provoke your children, is what it's saying. When you provoke the children, 
not to anger. It just causes problems. But it's saying don't provoke them to anger. You know, yet some parents might take delight in just agitating their kids just because they can. Now, in jest once in a while, that can kind of be fun, and, and the kids enjoy it and kind of play around maybe a little bit, but you probably have seen situations where it can get to the point where it just becomes such provoking that it pokes and pokes and pokes and pokes. It just makes them mad. There's no training. There's no, it's, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. You're always wrong. You're worthless. You're all those things that are not good can just make them mad. Now, there is something called teenagers. And... (laughs) They have emotional, they're, they're teenagers. They can be agitated, upset, and it just is. And so you have to find your patience, and you have to have found your way and prepared for that time of being a teenager, but you're still not to provoke them to wrath. But we are to train, it says to Bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. The training and the admonition of the Lord. If you think about the aspect that we as fathers model God the Father. If I look at it in the reverse to make this make, uh, seem make some, um, maybe more clear, is that if I am a father that is abusive, If there is a father, let's put it, I don't want to say if I am, I'll say if there is a father that is abusive, and even sexually abusive, can you see that that child would have problem when you say God is just like your father that is cared and concerned about you? That that son or daughter that had been raised under an abusive situation has a father leap to understand God the Father is caring and loving and protecting and nourishing and helping. They're not going to understand the goodness of Father. The scripture says that there, uh, someone is closer than a brother. If you don't have any brothers, or if you don't have, especially if you don't have any siblings, you don't understand that. But if you don't have brothers, understand that. There's an understanding there. Now, sometimes brothers don't get along through, but sometimes you can have brothers that will fight. And if someone tries to step between them and take the part of one or the other, both of them will turn on that person because that's their fight. They know the rules. They want you to butt out. I'm just trying to give you a sense of this relationship of the Father. We want to train them in the fear and admonition of the Lord is what it would say in the King James. But this says the training and admonition. So training, 
Let's understand these words. Training seems to have the, the, the definition, if I, you know, looking around that word, and I, as I'm looking at the word that, that they translated this from, the Greek word they translated from, it's got multiple words around it. And so I kind of understand why in different translations you're seeing slightly different words. This training is, you think about if you train someone to do something, it's different than you're educating them. You train somebody to do something, it's different than educating them. Now, I'm, I don't want to compare children to pets. But to be honest, everybody compares pets to children anymore. Someone was talking to me, I mentioned something to somebody I work with about some cat or some kitten or something that we had, and they referred to me as the cat saying to me, but dad, and I'm thinking, I'm not that cat's dad. But if I look at the concept, you do not educate a dog not to relieve themselves in the house. You train the child, dog, you don't train the child, but you train the dog not to relieve itself in the house. You house train the dog. You don't educate it. You don't say, okay, dog. Now, I'd like for you not to do this because then I have to clean it up and it smells. Do you understand, dog, how you train them not to do certain things? It's a training. And it's, there's some discipline sometimes involved. You might grab hold of the dog and say, you know, I watched some movie and they talked about somebody had to bite the the lead dog in the pack's ear to let them know that they were the alpha dog. But you have to train them. Sometimes there's a rolled up newspaper involved or something like that that don't do that or, or that you make them smell it or whatever you do to train your dog. But dogs are all different. I get it. But your training, which is different than this next word, is admonition. It's counsel. It's a, it's a rebuke. It's a, you're instructing them on the reasoning behind it. As I looked at the word, it, it, it seems to give that indication of you're trying to help them in their thought process. The word you might find today is their worldview. So you would train them things that they should and shouldn't do, but you're also trying to help them to understand the worldview the way the Bible looks at things. Because the way their, their worldview, the way they look at and construct the world and how they approach the world is something that is early. Early in the child's development. And if we train that, that we need to look at things, that there's God out there and God is concerned about us, God cares for us, God created, it becomes part of their worldview. And it's difficult to shift, I would think, that worldview. If they're not raised in that, then they're looking at the world in a different way. If they're not raised in that training and admonition and approach, then they're going to calculate things a different way. And I think we see that in society today. The way they look at the world, the way they approach the world is in a different place. So it's even hard for us to have a biblical worldview to reason with them. 
In some ways, I think it affects their common sense. They're, they look at their position in the world. If you have done things with your hands, or if you have lived where you really have seen poverty, or you've done without a meal, or you've done without the nice clothes, and maybe you were able to eat, but you, you had the holes in your jeans, or the shoes that you wore. I remember wearing shoes. Uh, I had JCPenney shoes. They were the $2 kind. They weren't the Converse, the Nike, the... And those, there was no rubber on them at all, so when I tried out for basketball in junior high, I just kind of slid across the floor. It was like plastic on top of the, the hardwood floor, and so I just kind of slid across. But when you've been through those things, what does it develop in you? Compassion. You see other people, and you recognize what they really need. It's not just that they need the shoes. They need a way to get some shoes for themselves, or they need a way, and you understand what self-respect is, and you understand how hard it is to ask for help, and you understand all those things, because your worldview has been developed looking at others and what others need. Because you will tell, walk into people that say, we didn't know we were poor, because we had other things. And it wasn't about the things, it was about the family and, and the cohesiveness. So the training and the admonition of the Lord. And I want you to think as we talk about this, we're, we've, in the training and admonition of the Lord, by talking, I believe, about the training of a child, you can see how it's the training, the Lord approaches some trainings. You know, God tells us not to do some things. Sometimes he tells us just no. And some of the things that he tells us no are for our own good. It protects us. If you look at some of the things in the do's and don'ts in the book of Leviticus, they were health measures that today everybody would necessarily follow. Or there's some things that they, they did then to be more healthy. I mean, they were looking through for people that had um, certain conditions so that it didn't spread. But then there's other things that protect us from evil and things that harm us spiritually. And so we are almost like that toddler at times. We go through that phase when maybe we're very innocent and younger than a toddler, but then we hit those toddler stages. And if you don't know, if you haven't experienced a toddler, they're not quite like teenagers because you can still move them around. But they tend to want to go where they want to go. And a toddler, you can go grab hold of them and then, no, no, don't do that, don't do that. A teenager, they go a certain direction and they just might roll over you because they might be even bigger than you are. But a toddler, a toddler. I want you to think about an electrical outlet and a toddler. What's the last thing you want the toddler to do? Stick something in the electrical outlet. And so, I have seen people try to explain things to toddlers. But the toddler, you just to say, don't do that. Because even today, you don't necessarily understand what makes that electric current shock you and what makes it hurt. But it does. And you know what it does. 
And so you've got to train them not to, not to do that. That's a training. You don't necessarily explain it to them, but you have to train it. I want to, let me just give you a couple practical things to be aware, not aware of in your training. Um, kids are different. There are complacent, complacent is not the right word, compliant children, and then there are strong-willed children. Compliant children, you look at them and you squint your eyes and they might stop doing it. Strong-willed children, you look at them, you squint your eyes, you raise your voice, you tell them not to do it 50 times, and you might smack their hands a few times, and they still do it anyhow. The level of disciplining that it takes to discipline a strong-willed child wouldn't be inappropriate to give to the compliant child. because they're just more compliant. It would be harsh. Now if I treat them equally, I would treat this, the, the compliant child harshly, or I would treat the strong-willed child with a soft touch. The problem is if, I, if I'm as disciplined with the child that's uh, more strong-willed, and I apply that to the compliant child, it would be over the top. Let me give you an example. Kid goes to, a toddler goes to put their finger in the outlet. You say no. They look at you and they pull back. Some children aren't going to do that. You're going to have to keep pulling their hand back. Some children, you're going to have to squeeze their hand a little bit so they feel it and pull their hand back. And yes, some of them, you're going to have to smack their hands so they feel the sting. And they'll pull back because they're disciplined to their fear of feeling the sting. And some of you that have only had compliant child say, man, why do you have to do that? That's too harsh. It would be too harsh for your compliant child. But if you've never had a strong-willed child, you won't understand that a strong-willed child will look at you after you've told them no, They'll look at you, look at the outlet, look at you, and then look at you and then stick their finger over towards the outlet. And you're charged with protecting them, so you're going to have to give them a little bit of what that is. Not in anger, not over the top, but a little bit of a sting. That would be horribly inappropriate for the compliant child that all it has to say, take is a no, Dad said no. Daddy said no. They will stop for that. You have to know your children. And not all children are the same. So if you look at that, that parent that is doing that, as long as they're not angry and they're not beating on them, they're just smacking their hands, you need to understand they might know that child a little bit better. But they're training. They're training, which is different. That is different than... Admo admonishing and educating on why you don't. Why you don't. As they get older, you start to explain why they don't. Because you're training 
them that when I say no, I mean no. When I say turn around, I mean turn around. You're like, well, you just want to be a boss and authoritative. No, when that child starts running for the street, I don't have time to explain it to them. I've had to establish that when I say no, it means no. When I say turn around, I expect you to obey. Don't be insubordinate with me, or you'll, there'll be discipline that takes place. Which is different than they're not cleaning up off their, their blocks and they're just learning. Then you have to admonish and seat them in a chair or do something to get them to get motivated to do those things. Those are learning and admonitions and trainings. Because you ever gotten to, with a teenager, those that have parented, when you go to talk to a teenager and you talk to them and you try to explain them, that's a bad idea. Because they want to go to some place with somebody or a bunch of somebody's and do something and it's like everybody else is doing and it's okay. No, it's not. You're not going. And you try to explain to them why it's a bad idea and they don't get it. And so you, then you have to just say, I've tried. You still don't get it. No, you're not going. They're not in a place to understand. They're not in a place to comprehend. And so you say no. There's some things that God tells us no about, and he can't explain it to us. God tells us to stop. God tells us to go. And we're not in a place to understand it. But as we study his word more, and as we read his word more, and as we live life walking with God more, we start to understand, oh, that's why. Oh, that's why. You've heard the saying, if I switch back over to us as the, the child that gets to, to uh, 23 years old and he turns to his father and, or turns to somebody and says, wow, my dad's really got smart in the last two years or three years. Dad didn't change at all. It's just that you finally realized what he was trying to say. But the establishment of sometimes no means no even though you don't understand it. And that foundation you have to establish when they're toddlers because when it comes to get to be teenagers, if you, it's too late to establish the training. Because you're gaining on the respect and the trust that when you've told them and know in the past that as long as they do the yes and no's that mom and dad tell them, they're safe. And every once in a while they'll test you. They'll, they'll, you tell them don't cross that line because you're afraid. The story goes of somebody was at a basketball gathering and uh, or some basketball court, and they had a three-year-old, and the three-year-old was running up down the steps a little bit, and there was some, some basketball tournament or something going on. And they let the kid run around, but they said to her, just don't pass that yellow line. So the little girl heard that, ran down to the yellow line, looked back up at her father, and put her foot over and looked back up and see what he was going to do. She was testing the boundaries. She wasn't in fear. She, she was going to, there was going to be consequences. But she's testing the boundaries. And if you test the boundaries and you know somebody's still watching, still cares enough to watch, still cares enough to worry about you, you feel more secure than if they let you do whatever you want. Because they don't know where the boundaries are. Aren't you thankful that in our walk with God, that God places boundaries because we're not smart enough to know all the things that could get us in trouble. So if we obey Him, we can have security 
and know that I can rest and obey God. But if we walk and teach our children in the fear and admonition of the Lord, it establishes those principles. That sometimes some things are a good idea even if you don't understand them. Now when they become adults, they're going to make some choices and make some decisions. And maybe you remember when you were a young adult and you make choices and decisions and they were counter to what your parents had taught you and you paid the price. But then it reminded you maybe they were right on other, some other things too. The fear and admonition of the Lord, the discipline and admonition of the Lord. When we are young in Christ, think about this, you distrust. You trust your elders and go with it. You, you should trust the boundaries and you should strive to learn and understand. And we should teach our children that God is God. Sometimes He says no. Sometimes He says yes. He is our Father that's caring for us. We should model that. And sometimes we don't understand it, but we just have to do it. And then if we want to understand more and we understand other people, He will teach us as we're able. A little child that goes over there that's a year old or something, and they reach over and they're reaching for that outlet, they don't understand. And so you pull them back. You might pull them back all those different times. You might say just put outlet covers on them and then put them on there. Well, you're going to have to put outlet covers on every house that you go in, every place you're at. And if you have more than one toddler at the same time, you're not going to be able to keep track of them all. So you're going to have to train them. And Father, sometimes that falls to us, but Mom should be involved in it too. They both should be doing the training. It shouldn't be they're just they're the only bad person. Not one parent should be given to the discipline. But it is true sometimes, fathers, that boys do respond differently to fathers than they do mothers. To the great angst of the mother sometimes. Because the father just comes across differently. Boys need dads. Girls need dads too. They need dads and they need moms. Now, I've told you this before, I just want to remind you since we're here, the God of Sinai is the God of Calvary. The guy that set the law, the God that set the laws is also the God that shed his blood. And so you might have compassion at one end of the kitchen table and you might have the law at the other end of the kitchen table, but they're both working together for your good. Or they should be. But you have to train. We have to train. Train them, the do's and don'ts. And then admonish, sometimes that might mean lecture, but they might admonish and educate them in the whys and the wherefore, so that as they go into different situations, and when you go to the next situation and they go reaching for the stove, and they say, don't touch that, that'll hurt. They learn what hurt is back there. And I skipped back past the one-year-old. If you got a little one-year-old, something they're going around, they don't know, and you pull back, they don't know, and you pull back. But at some point, they cross over into, they know they're not supposed to do it, and they look at you. Now they're trainable. They know they're not supposed to do it. They look to see if you're watching. They're sneaking. Now they're trainable. They know better. They know something's not right. You have to start training. 
some practical insights there, but you never do it in anger. You never do it in revenge. You never do it because if you're in a divorce situation, they like their other parent's house better. You never be more lenient because that one's doing the discipline. So you can score, score points with the kid. Disciplining and admonitioning is hard work. And sometimes you just like to let them do what they want to do because you're tired of arguing with them. Which one shows more love? Keep protecting them. But it's hard. It's hard. And maybe you look back and you remember how thankful you might be that your parents held their ground. As long as they raised them in the fear and admission of the Lord. But it says, train your child in the fear or in the discipline, the training, and admonition of the Lord. Bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Model it for them. Model it for them. And present that to them. So dads, keep your cool. Don't provoke them. Don't poke the bear. Just to get them mad. They're not your little brother. They're not your little brother. Just don't agitate to agitate just to make them mad. Yeah, once in a while it's a teasing, but it can get to the point. It's not good. Don't lord over them. Model Christian compassion in front of them. Model a disciplined life. Model forgiveness. Model those things. Nurture them. Train them. Set the example. Show them how. And explain. Help them learn to think about it and approach it from the mind of Christ, from a renewed mind. Model that for them. That they would learn that their Bible instructs them and teaches them in the way that they should go. Let's be standing together. Today we took this one passage of scripture. We We added some things to it, but hopefully it's helped in the understanding of how important our role is to establish boundaries and discipline and educating as they're ready. And that's how God deals with us. He, he tells us, don't do this. Later, we start understanding that those do's and don'ts are like the cage around a compound when you're on a safari. There's a gate, you go on a safari, and there's a gate around you, and somebody inside says, this is so restrictive, we can't get out, because they don't know that that fence around them has protected them from the lions and the hyenas and everything that wants to come in and take them down. The restrictions, that gated restriction, is for our own good and for our protection. And so we need to train our children with those things in mind, and as they start to understand Train them the whys and the hows so that as they go in different situations, the Lord can help them in those situations too. Train them how to work through decisions with the Lord. Let's pray.
Lord, we pray that you would just be with each one of us. Some of us have raised children. Some of us are raising children. Some of us might be have grandchildren or could be raising grandchildren. We pray to Lord that whatever they're at, that they might realize that they're setting an example and that you as our Father has set the example for us. That you give us do's and don'ts for our own protection. That you sacrificed. That you gave your son. That Jesus, you died on the cross for our sins. Providing for us a means of salvation. That you gave us and extended us grace. That you gave us mercy. That you have instruction in your word on the whys and hows. But that we just need to be obedient for our own protection. Even when we don't understand, we need to say, yes, Lord. Help us as fathers to model that behavior, to learn that behavior. May our children be instructed. May our children be trained. And may it be with them for the rest of their lives. Just be with us and grant it these things we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.